Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. It is so good to like look out and see people here. I was telling Sherry last night, we've been watching the beginning of the Olympics and, you know, seeing these athletes doing their thing and this empty stadium. I'm like, how awful is that? And I, I know a little bit of what that feels like because last year there were so many times where, so many Sundays where I'm talking to a camera, you know, and the room is empty. So thank you for being here. It's, it's awesome to, to be together, hopefully for, for you as well. So three-year-old Hunter on an August morning went for a walk with his mom and his dog, Diego. And they were new to the neighborhood. They had just moved in their house about a week before. So they, they thought they'd take a walk on the walking trail for, for their neighborhood. It wasn't long before Diego, the dog, took off into the woods. And Hunter, being three years old, loving his dog, was like he wanted to save his dog. Didn't want his dog to get lost in the woods. So he took off after the dog. Now, mom would have taken off after both of them, except that she was nine months pregnant. So all she could do at that point was was yell and call them back, and we can imagine how effective that was. She she just there was nothing else for her to do but to go back to her house, and she called her fiance and she said, "What what do I do?" And he said, "We should call nine one one." And so she did, and he left work, started heading home. By the time he got home, there was uh, there were police cars there gathered. There were fire, you know, equipment, and they sent out a search party that all told was thirty people looking for this little boy who was looking for his his dog. Three hours later, some neighbors saw this little boy running around with his dog. They got reunited. And the neighbors called the sheriff because they, they didn't know who this was. And the sheriff got them connected, got them back to mom. But I want you to just think for a moment what, what those three hours were like for Hunter's mom. I imagine she's sitting there picturing in her mind all of these worst case scenarios. You know, what if he gets injured? What if somebody with, with evil intent comes across him? What if he wanders into traffic? You know, so she's probably picturing all of these things. And can you imagine what she felt like when he walked through the door and she was able to give him a hug again? The relief, the joy. You know, when we lose something that is valuable to us, it's consuming to find it again. Nothing else matters. I mean, maybe you've experienced this with a wallet or, or your keys. Or don't raise your hand. Maybe, maybe a child. Maybe you misplaced a child for, for a period of time. And when you get reunited, if you've ever felt that joy and that relief of having them come back, then you have something in common with God. Not sure if you ever thought about that this morning. Some of you, I know, are new to faith. You're exploring faith. Maybe don't know a whole lot about God. And so maybe you never thought about the fact that you have something in common with him. 
I mean, all of us chase things into the woods. So sometimes we're, we're chasing money or we're chasing success. Um, sometimes we're chasing darker things, uh, depravities. And hopefully somewhere along the line, a friend points us to God. And when, when they do that, there, there's oftentimes a hesitation because we're not sure how God is going to respond when we come to him. Is he going to lecture us? Is he going to punish us? Is he going to reject us? Jesus tells us that God's response when the spiritually lost are found is a whole lot more like Hunter's mom's response when Hunter was found. And God actually calls us to have that same response as well, which we will see as we look into Luke 15 this morning. If you would turn there with me. We are continuing this series of a journey with journeying with Jesus. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories about lost and found. The first is about sheep. The second is about a coin. And the third is about a son. And so first we want to just read the setting that prompts these stories. So starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. And so before we go on with with the story, I want to just look at these two groups of people we have with Jesus in, in the middle. I mean, basically we have two groups. We have the group of sinners, which they're identified that way, tax collectors and sinners. And then we have a group of saints. But actually we should put saints in quotation marks. They think they're saints. A lot of other people think they're saints. We have rebels and we have the religious. And so let's talk about the rebels first for a moment. They they include tax collectors. I don't know how you feel about tax collectors. But one big difference between tax collectors for us and tax collectors in Jesus' day is that for us, it's pretty impersonal. I mean, we just put a check in the mail, a check that's much larger than we would like. We put a check in the mail to the faceless IRS, and it just goes in there, and we never see it again. And we question whether it's being used for anything at all productive. But there it goes. In Jesus' day, it was very different because the tax collector, it was very personal. He would sit at a table, and you would come to the table, and he would tell you how much to pay, and you would turn it over, and you're face-to-face with this tax collector. Tax collectors were were despised in Jesus' day, not just because they took money from, from people, but also because here they are, um, Jewish people oftentimes, who are hired by the Roman government to tax their fellow Jewish people. And not only did were they collecting taxes that people really didn't want to pay, but, I mean, they're collecting these taxes to give to the Roman government so that they, the Romans can oppress their people even more. But also, the Roman government would, would tell these tax collectors, here's how much you need to collect for each person. If you want to collect more than that, you can, and you can keep the extra. As long as we get what we need, then you can do whatever you want. And so many 
tax collectors would. They would they would increase the tax and they would skim off the top. And so they were hated and despised. I mean, these are the kind of people that were drawing near to Jesus and, and not only tax collectors, but sinners. Not sure what they did, but they did something bad enough to get branded with the title sinners. These are the people we, we could call spiritually lost. And they are drawing near to Jesus. They're, they're not repelled by him. They're not afraid of him. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. So they were drawing near to him, probably because he received them. That, that's what Jesus' accusers are saying in verse 2. This man receives sinners and eats with them. The, the Greek word there, receives, actually just means to welcome someone as a friend. So Jesus is receiving these people. The other group, though, very different response. So Pharisees and, and scribes, they are grumbling. I mean, they're, they're the people who are seen as saints by, by a lot of people. They're looked up to. And they're, they're the people as, who are seen as being close to God. And if they're the people who are closest to God, then this must be some kind of picture of what God is like. So they are the ones who are grumbling. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying how this man receives sinners and eats with them. How could this man welcome this, these kinds of people? And so Jesus tells a story. Verse four. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Jesus, Jesus is such a master storyteller. He knows his audience. He knows that they're agrarian. Many of them are farmers. So everybody that he's talking to either owns a sheep or they know someone who owns a sheep. This is very close to home for them. And, and he talks about this sheep herder, sheep owner, shepherd, who has a hundred sheep and he counts the sheep and one is missing. And so everyone can kind of picture that in their mind and they can imagine the urgency of needing to find that one that is lost. So for a number of reasons, it's, it's urgent for them. For, for one, there, there was a personal connection between the shepherd and, and their sheep. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 10 when he says that the, the sheep know their master's voice. But also, it, this, there was some urgency here because this sheep being lost would be an, an issue of livelihood. I mean, people owned sheep to, to make money. And so whether it was to make money off their wool or, or to, um, to sell them for sacrifice in the temple or just good old mutton, lamb, lamb chop, you know, there's, there's a reason why these people are raising these sheep. It's a financial issue, so there's some urgency to go find this one. So, Jesus says, this, this man, uh, leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after the one that is lost. Now, it sounds like he's just leaving them alone. Most likely what's happened is, um, he's probably not gonna leave them just alone and go search for one and come back with the one only to find that five more have left. So he's probably, shepherds would work in groups. They would work in teams. And so he's probably, he probably called over one of his shepherd buddies and said, hey, I, I lost so-and-so again. They, they ran off, and so I'm going to go run off. I'm going to go run and try to find them. Would you keep an eye on my sheep? That's probably what's happened here. And so he goes off looking, and then verse 5. 
when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. There's, there's, there's joy. There's relief. Like Hunter's mom. He's excited to, to find this lost sheep. He doesn't scold the sheep. Doesn't lecture the sheep. I mean, like that would do any good, but he's not giving the sheep a hard time. He's excited, puts it on his shoulders. I mean, this, this, this affectionate picture of how much he loves the sheep and is glad to have it back. And he's, he's not just rejoicing, not just satisfied to rejoice alone. He also invites others to rejoice. In verse six, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Then we get to verse seven. Verse seven is the punchline. If, if you were with us here recently when we were talking about Jesus telling stories in his parables, usually the punchline is the last sentence. If you're, if you're kind of fuzzy on what point he's trying to make, he usually sends it home at the, at the very end. So verse seven is his punchline. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents Then over 99 righteous persons, or people who think they're righteous, who need no repentance. You know how excited you are when you find something valuable that's been lost. Jesus says there's more joy in heaven. Question, who is in heaven? Oh, thank you. God is in heaven. So God is rejoicing, and what we see here is that God rejoices over the repentant, not the religious. I mean, I think sometimes we, we think that God is just happy if we just toe the line and if we just do what he asks us to do. He, he is. He is happy for us to be obedient. But God knows that we can't toe the line perfectly. And so when we fail, he, he rejoices when we come back to him, when we repent. God says, I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to get lost in the woods. I'm just thrilled when you come back to me, when you repent. And so Jesus tells another story to reinforce this. This is the same song, second verse, verse verse 8. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So this time the main character is is a woman. And she's lost a coin. She's, again, she's just such a master communicator. He's making the same point here, but he's reaching a different segment of his audience. He's saying, if you didn't relate for some reason to the sheep story, let me tell you one that you'll probably relate to. And you, you ladies with coins, you'll relate to this. Um, he says, uh, in verse eight, he talks about these silver coins and you may have a footnote. Um, at the bottom of your, your page that says that that, that coin was worth about a day's wage. For, for a laborer. That doesn't sound like much to us to lose. But if these 10 coins are all you have, then it's a big deal to, to lose one of them. I mean, keep in mind that in Jesus' day, they didn't have banks like we do. They had sort of a banking system, but it was very different than ours. And so many people would just keep what they own, they would keep their assets there at, at their house and just keep them protected as best they could. 
And so she has lost a tenth of her assets here. I mean, she needs to find that. It would be for us. We, we don't keep all of our assets at home. But imagine if you went into your online banking this afternoon and you discovered in there that there was a withdrawal that you did not recognize. And it was a major amount. It was a tenth of all the assets that you own. I dare say that you would be pretty diligent about trying to recover that. I dare say you wouldn't just say, ah, no big deal. I mean, you'd be on the phone immediately with the bank saying, here's here's what I see on my screen. Tell me what you can find about this. Is there any way we can recover this? I mean, that's what this woman is is doing in verse 8. I mean, she lost the coin, and it says, does she not light a lamp? Because the, the lighting in their home wouldn't have been very good in those days. Light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. She, this is important to her to get this back. And then, and then in verse 9, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors. She rejoices, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. So the point again then, now we come to the punchline again. If you didn't get it the first time, Here it is again in verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Question. Who is before, in front of the angels of God? Who are they looking at? God, thank you. Yes, so they're looking at God. There is joy in the presence of God because God is rejoicing over one sinner who repents. God rejoices over the repentant. And again, he invites others to rejoice with him. Both, both stories have this same phrase. Rejoice with me. In verse 9, rejoice with me, for I have found what was lost. Back in verse 6, rejoice with me, I have found what was lost. Jesus, Jesus is inviting the grumbling religious people to rejoice with God over those who are coming back to him. Jesus is inviting us to rejoice with God over those who are far from him, but who are repenting and coming back to him. We'll come back to that thought. But but first, I want to just talk for a few minutes about the word sinner. Sinner shows up four times in these 10 verses, and Jesus reinforces that that. The idea of sin and the idea of sinner, that, that's a real category. I mean, contrary to popular opinion today, Jesus says there is a category of thoughts and actions and attitudes that offend a holy God. See, we, we don't really get uncomfortable about the idea of a holy God who is perfect, who is righteous, who never does anything wrong. We get uncomfortable about that because if we, if we think about God being that perfect, we recognize how imperfect we are. So we, we tend to just want to kind of bring him more down to our level and just say either there isn't a God at all or he's not, he's not really that much different than we are. He's just maybe a little bit better version of, of us. And Jesus says that's, that's not the case. We, we tend to be okay with the idea of a God who loves us and wants good for us. But we get uncomfortable with the idea of a God who holds us accountable. 
And if, if you fall into that category this morning, then I would just, I just want to ask you this question. Is that what you really want? Because if that's what you think you want, then, then here's what that means. If somebody sins against you, let's say they, they steal your money. Let's say it's the person on the other side of your bank account who somehow extracted money from, from you. Do you really want that person not to be held accountable for stealing from you? Do you really want for no one to be held accountable if they tell slanderous things about you, if they lie about you? Do you really want them just to get off the hook? Because if you're going to get off the hook for those things, then it's only fair that everybody should get off the hook for these things. See, I think what we really want is we want a God who lets us off the hook, but holds other people accountable for the things that they do that harm us. And Jesus says it, it, it doesn't work that way. There really is a category of sin. God has established moral laws to protect us from each other, and from ourselves. And when we violate those laws, Scripture says we have sinned and we are lost. We are in the woods far from the safety of our, of our Heavenly Father. Jesus recognizes the category called sinner and he applies it to everyone, to all of us equally. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, God recognized that we strayed from him, that we got lost, but he loved us too much to leave us lost. He sent his son to seek us out and to save us, as Lisa read uh, earlier in, in our worship time. Jesus came to save us by offering himself. He lived a perfect, holy life that none of us was able to live. And so his record was pure and clean. But he died the death that we deserve so that his perfect record could be transferred to us. And our faulty record, our stained record, our sin-filled record could be transferred to him to be cleansed. And so life comes when we embrace that reality and we repent. And and let me just give you this definition of repent. And this is what we'll we'll talk about for the next several weeks as we go into the the next story that Jesus tells. Repent means to change our heart and our heading. It doesn't just mean to change our heart or to change our mind. I mean, we can change our heart and, and be sorry for doing something. And know that it was wrong, but keep on doing it. The, the, the biblical, that, that's kind of a, uh, an English idea, an English word, an English language idea of repent. But that's not the biblical concept of repent. Repent involves changing our heart and being sorry, but then changing our heading and heading towards God. It involves turning away from what we were doing that was displeasing to God. And turning towards God and doing what it is that he is calling us to do. So we're going to see that really clearly as we move into next week. We're going to move into the, to Jesus, probably most, most famous story, the story of the prodigal son. 
And so he takes this lost and found and moves it from, you know, something that's disconnected from us, a sheep and a, and a coin, and he makes it very personal. Now we're talking about a son. We're talking about a human being who's running far from home. And we're going to see repentance in action, changing our heart and our, and our heading. Jesus rejoices over the repentant, not over the religious. All of us have chased something into the woods and gotten lost and needed someone to come and, and to find us. And many of us have, have wondered when, when God comes after us, what's he going to be like? Is he going to, is he going to punish me? Is he going to lecture me? Jesus says, don't assume that God is going to reject you just because religious people may reject you. When we change our heart and our heading, God rejoices. And so someone may be here this morning who's never done that, who has never changed their heart and headed back to God. That's, that's the most important thing you can do today. And, and know this, if, if you've never taken that step, know this, that God is waiting for you with open arms, as we sang earlier, not with a stick to beat you. When you come with a repentant heart desiring to change and saying, God, I want to be different, he rejoices over you. That's what you're going to find to God when you return to him. So don't let another day go by without doing that. Make today your day. Make this morning your morning. Don't leave the building without doing that and calling out to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, and I want my life to be different. Would you help me? He would rejoice to do that. The other, the other big application in this story is for those who are religious, those who think they don't need to repent, because they're doing okay on their own. Thank you very much. I want to just give you a couple of diagnostic questions this morning to determine if you fall into that religious category. The first is, are, are you proud and confident in your own rightness? Do you feel pretty good about where you're at? And yeah, I, you know, God must be pretty happy with me the way I am because I, you know, I'm doing okay. Are you condescending towards people who are far from God? And do you ever think, do you ever look at someone and think, wow, they are truly beyond the grace of God. They've gone too far. If you ever think that, by the way, you're, you're right. But so have you. And so have I. It's hard for religious people to rejoice over sinners, even, even sinners who are repentant. But God, God rejoices over the repentant, not the righteous, not the religious. And Jesus invites us to rejoice with him. I, I'm reminded of the, the first story in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He, he tells a story that he heard from a friend who works with the down and out in Chicago. And this is, this is what his friend told him. A prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. 
through sobs and tears, she told me that she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men who were interested in young children. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. And Philip Yancey says this, What struck me about my friend's story is that women, much like this prostitute, fled toward Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Has the church lost that gift? Evidently, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. What has happened? And I would suggest to us this morning that maybe what has happened is that we sometimes have become too religious. And maybe we need to repent of that. And here's the good news. When we repent of being too religious, God will rejoice over us too. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming to seek and to save the lost. And I pray for the person who is here this morning, who is still lost, who has never changed their heart and their heading to head back towards you. I pray that that person would cry out to you this morning, whether it's there from, from their seat right now as they're listening to me or whether they come up after the service and pray with, with one of us. Lord, I pray that they would not leave this, this room without embracing the forgiveness that you offer, the love, the unconditional love and grace that you want to lavish on them just as you have lavished on so many of us in this room. Lord, I pray for the person who's listening who, who is religious today and who thinks that they're doing well enough that they really don't need to repent. They don't really need your grace anymore. That was something they did one time and they don't really need to do it in, anymore. And now it, it, there's a tendency, this tendency to look down our nose at someone else who needs grace and sometimes think, yeah, they're, they're too far gone. Lord, I pray for, for any of us who might be religious today and, and, and who actually may have somebody right in our sphere of influence who desperately needs the hope of Christ and maybe we've written them off and we're avoiding them because they're so different than we are. Father, would you break our hearts this morning with what breaks yours? And would you help us to change our heart and our heading and repent before you so that you might rejoice even over us as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.